coming November 15th, a brand new season of That's What She Did podcast. We'll be bringing you 10 inspiring women you probably don't already know. On this new season of the podcast, we're shining a light on women that are at the intersection of activism and storytelling. They're fearlessly using their art, expression, and personal narratives to change the world. You're going to hear from actors and playwrights, poets and artists, filmmakers and authors. There are women unapologetically challenging the status quo, and you need to hear their stories. Prepare to be inspired. This season, our fourth, is going to be pure fire. You don't want to miss this. Find it wherever you get your podcasts or on our website. That's what she did podcast.com. Hey there, inspiration junkies. It's me again, your host, Tangie Renee. You're listening to season four, episode five of That's What She Did podcast. Before we jump into things, I want to send out a great big thank you. The show has been growing like crazy. We are now being downloaded across 36 different countries. Yes, 36, 36, all because of your shares, because talking about the show and letting other people know what you're listening to. Thank you so much for doing that. If you want to continue to support the show, all you have to do is hit the subscribe button and continue to share. Another thing I would love for you to do, just so I can know who's listening and where you're listening from, is I would love it if you would take a screenshot of you listening to the pod wherever you listen, whether it's at the gym, walking your dog, hanging out in your living room, and just tell me what you're listening to. Tag me on Instagram at that's what she did podcast so I can repost and give you a shout out. Thanks again for being a listener and supporter of the show. I appreciate you so much. Now I want to introduce you to this week's guests. There are two. I have the co-founders, Syra Rao and Regina Jackson of Race to Dinner. Race to Dinner is an organization that's working to dismantle white supremacy in a super unique and unusual way. Co-founders Syra and Regina meet with groups or individual white women over dinner to discuss white supremacy and all of the ways that it impacts people of color and more specifically, how white women specifically intentionally or not uphold white supremacy and how they can work to dismantle it. It's really fascinating how this organization came to be, and I will let you listen to them tell it. But what they're doing is definitely unique. I think it's pushing the envelope, and it's an interesting way of using personal narrative as a form of activism to have tough, unusual, to say the least, but necessary conversations. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. It was definitely very interesting and eye-opening in a lot of ways. And if you ask me what they're doing, it's a little bit crazy. But hey, to each their own, and I totally respect it. So let's check it out.
Welcome back to another episode of That's What She Did podcast. I am thrilled to have this conversation today with Syrah and Regina because they're doing something I think is really innovative and unusual and impactful in the most, what's the word I'm looking for? Impactful way. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's all, it can, for some people, it's going to feel like a punch in the face, right? And maybe some people sort of figuratively need that. So we're going to have this conversation, continue the conversation of this season, which is activism and storytelling and the intersection of those things. Um, but we're going to take sort of a unique perspective on two women that are doing this in a very different way with a sort of much more out there approach that I'm really interested in discussing. So you two are doing something called Race to Dinner. What is it? Race to Dinner actually started when Syra ran for office. She ran for um, against Diana DeGette mm-hmm. for uh, national representative. And I worked on our campaign and I got to know Syra and I thought, oh, you know, I really love Syra. I'm going to support her. Well, she would get numerous calls and texts and emails from white women who wanted to go to breakfast, lunch, dinner, coffee with her. And a friend of mine, white woman friend, said, oh, I'm just done with Cyrus. She hates white people. I'm not going to follow her anymore. And then the next breath, she says, but will you see if she'll go to lunch with me? So I go to Cyrus <laughs> and I said, so-and-so wants to go to lunch with you, with you. And she said, Regina, she says, I'm not doing that anymore. But what I will do, she said, if you do it with me, she said, I will have a dinner with white women, a group of white women, and we can sit down and talk about race. Mm-hmm. And that's how we got started. And when they asked for the breakfast, lunches, and dinners, it wasn't to hang out and shoot the shit. Mm-hmm. It was to let me know that I was wrong, um, that I was angry, that I was divisive, that I was crazy. And um, and if I was right, I wasn't right about them. It was the not all white women, not me. So it was explicitly to tone police, gaslight, and, and set themselves apart. Um, they never paid. I, it was like out of pocket. I had to pay for babysitters, pay for dinner, and then like pay for extra therapy that week to deal with the, the <laughs> trauma <laughs> that, that happened to these Backlash. things. So why did you initially run for office? I ran for office because after uh, the election of 2016, I had a racial awakening. I had been in the closet of my race. I was what you'd call a coconut brown on the outside, white on the inside. And... Um, I realized that the Democratic Party was every bit as racist as the Republican Party. You can't um, like party labels can't make you impervious Mm -hmm. to the history and the reality of this country. So just because you're a Democrat doesn't suddenly make you not racist or not misogynistic. And the woman who's been in office now for 20 will be 24 years. Diana DeGette is a super liberal white woman. And I put that in quotes. Um, because she is every bit as problematic as any Republican and every bit as problematic as Nancy Pelosi. And so I talked a lot about in 2017 white privilege, using your white privilege to dismantle uh, white supremacy, using your privilege for this and that. And I wrote and I sort of had over the course of the year uh, breaking up with the Democratic Party over this issue. I went to Washington in October of 2017, met with a bunch of U.S. senators, some of whom are running for president now. Um, recognized how completely backwards and um, lack of critical race analysis they had around anything, which is deeply problematic when you're talking about federal legislation. Mm -hmm. 
And I came back and I wrote an article called I'm a Brown Woman Who's Breaking Up with the Democratic Party. That was December of 2017. Got published in the Huffington Post. That's a story. I couldn't get it published anywhere, Mm -hmm. even though I work in media and I knew all these editors. And it took a black editor who it it landed in her lap. And so she greenlit it and um, it went viral. And in January of 2018, so last year, you know, there's a lot of, I went viral with tons of emails. You're a party trader. You're this, you're that. And then a bunch of people saying, well, why don't you challenge Diana to get? And I'm thinking to myself, can't we expect better of our congressional representatives without actually running for Congress? But then I had this, you know, I have class privilege. I can afford child care. I'm able-bodied. I have able-bodied, able-bodied privilege. I can crisscross the district. So if I'm going to actually take my own advice, I need to use my privilege. And I did. So I entered the race. I was one of the last people in the country to file with the FEC and knowing full well that it was a huge long shot. But to give you a sense of how hungry people are for change in five months, no name recognition, no corporate money. Um, I got I was I was told that in February I had a two percent chance of getting over 12 percent. I ended up with 34 percent of the vote. Mm-hmm. So and, and I ran on an explicitly anti-racist platform. I remember I'm from Denver. Uh, I remember the controversy. I think I was I was out of the country when you initially announced that you were running or filed or or whatever happened. And then I left and I didn't pay attention to what was happening. And I came home and it was like there was an explosion that happened while I was gone. And I was like, what? Who's Syrah? What? I was like, what is happening? And, you know, for, for our listeners that don't know, it was a big deal in Denver. And I remember being taken aback by the backlash. Mm-hmm. Like you were, to your point, you were a long shot. And I was like, why are you, why are these people so angry? Like, she's a long shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the, you know, probably only black and brown people are going to vote for her. And this is Denver. So we're the minority. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, yeah. why, why yeah. are, why is this reaction so strong? Because I, I was telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And what we know now, well, we've always known, but what we certainly know after, you know, the dozen or so race to dinners we've had is nothing makes white people angrier than when you talk about racism and their complicity in racism. They're fine when you talk about racism as a thing in the past or the Republicans are racist or the or racism is in the South. But the minute you make white liberals complicit in white supremacy, they will go crazy and then accuse you of being crazy. So how do we get here, though? Because now race to dinner is is it a nonprofit? No, no. Okay. no. But we got here because we started doing these dinners and we really made a commitment. And, you know, one of the differences between Syra and I, I'm really old enough to be her mother. I was born in 1950. Well, everything in America was black and white. You know, that's how it was. You know, didn't really grow up with a lot of white friends. Everybody just kind of stayed in their place. So I have no big expectations of white people. I know if I get anything in this life, it's going to be, you know, maybe one or two people will help me. But it's really coming from community, my community. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's how I approached it. And Syra approached it very differently. But I think the combination of how we view the world is what makes it successful. So 
God, I have so many questions. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> and I, I purposely come into these interviews not writing down questions because yeah, I want great. it to be an authentic conversation that isn't based on like whatever my agenda was when I was writing down questions. Okay, so you, Cyrus specifically, and through you as well, Regina, talk a lot about it's not just racism that you're talking. You're you're specifically talking about anti-blackness, yes. which is another it's a deeper level. It's something that a lot of people, I think, have never even considered. Like They don't even know what those words in a sentence mean. Well, I think communities of color know what it sure. means because we have that in our community. Right. You know, the darker your complexion, the less value you have. And that's oppression. Well, I think black people know what it means. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm Afro-Latina and I have white skin privilege. I am very light complected. And, you know, in, in Latino community, anti-blackness is rampant. Right. It's rampant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And in other communities of color, yes. it's rampant. And when I have said to people who are not black, who are people mm-hmm. of color, like, you can't say stuff like that just because you are brown mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you're not mm-hmm. racist. Mm-hmm. It's confusion at first, and we have to have this whole conversation about it. So I think it's important to note that it's not just a conversation around racism. Like you're specifically calling colorism and Mm anti-blackness to the table. How do you arrive at that? Well, I think Syra can probably explain it best because she openly admits she will start the dinners with, I'm anti-black and you all are racist. So I think what's very confusing for white people, and frankly, I'll just speak specifically to Asians because that's my community, is you can be on the receiving end of oppression Mm -hmm. and also on the giving end of oppression. You can be part of the problem and you can be part of the solution. So when you look at the ecosystem of white supremacy, who's at the top? White men. Who's white below white men? White women. White women. Who's at the bottom? Black Black people. Black women. Sure. Right. And then uh, indigenous women. Mm-hmm. And everyone else kind of falls in between. And and the way it works is the more adjacent you are to whiteness, the more power you have. So what do you do? You, you A, you take the abuse from white people and then you inflict the abuse on those below you. This is And then the flip of that is critical race theory, is you uplift the most marginalized in our communities in this country. It's black and indigenous women and mm-hmm. all boats rise. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's imperative for all of us to understand where we fall in the ecosystem, where we are harmed and where we are committing harm. And I hold myself to every bit of the standard that I am asking white people, which is Indians, specifically South Asians, can we please acknowledge our anti-blackness? Guess how excited South Asians are to acknowledge their anti-blackness. So I'll anecdotally tell you, growing up in Richmond, Virginia, in the 70s and 80s, I grew up with a tiny Indian community. We were literally, I was othered at birth. Like the doctors came by and asked, basically didn't even know what we were. My dad was listed on my birth certificate as African-American. My mom was listed as Caucasian. They literally didn't know. Um, And we'd go to like, you know, we'd have these dinner parties with like the 10 Indian families in Richmond at that time. Half the party was spent about the Indian Indians talking about how racist the Americans were. So let's be clear. Americans were white people. Mm -hmm. They would never say white people, but they'd say black people and Chinese people and Indian people and Pakistani people. But Americans we knew, you know, were white people. So they talk about how racist the the Americans were. And then the next breath, they would say something very derogatory about black people. Mm -hmm. And there was just literally no acknowledgement of that. 
I mean, it was as explicit as that, you know, and I remember asking my mom once, my late mother once about it, and she just said, that's just the way it is, you know, and that's basically, it's that's code for cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. you know, and so um, until and unless we're able to take a good look at ourselves, we can't expect others to do it. And so white women are born and raised to feel like they're the most put upon people on the planet because of white men, because white men have more power than them. I would argue that white women probably have more privilege than white men, but they're, they viewed themselves as victims their whole lives. So enter, you know, left stage, brown and black women saying, no, you have white skin privilege. They go crazy. And this is the first time, frankly, that like whole scale society is holding them accountable mm-hmm. and they don't know what to do. They And, and maybe if, if there's anything good that's happened with Donald Trump, it has busted open this conversation. But white men have been on the hook for racism and sexism forever. You know, not that they care. Mm-hmm. They, they, they continue, you know, going on their way. They have white women have never been held accountable. The fingers have never been pointed at white women and they have really lost their damn minds. Is that the point of this, of Race to Dinner? Accountability? The point, yes. The point is, first of all, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. So acknowledge your role in white supremacy. You know, anytime you have a powerful group of white women, and when I say powerful, they have position power. Mm-hmm. Okay, we just said they were under A lot of them have access to resources. They have everything they need, but they are sitting by why white elementary school children are being murdered in their schools so the gun industry can make a profit. Mm-hmm. You need to acknowledge your complicity in that. And, you know, if they had immediately, the first school shooting, we had gotten with it. See, people have a, a, a this real need to not be interested in anything unless it impacts them personally. I have a friend who loves to say there's nothing like enlightened self-interest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if my kid's not being shot in school, well, you know, I really don't care. Yeah. And we all need to care. We're all here to help each other. That's the bottom line. And and from a sort of um, strategic place, uh, white women have by and large chosen racial solidarity. And by racial solidarity, I mean whiteness. And by whiteness, I mean white supremacy. So beyond the 53% of white women who voted for Donald Trump, the 47 who did not, they are in some ways just as culpable because most of them will talk about those white women as them and they. If 53% of Indians in this country voted for Donald Trump, I would ha- it would be a problem for me, even though I didn't do that. Right. Right. Like this whole it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. So from my perspective, this is a strategic way of actually trying to bust open the conversation and implore white women to acknowledge the harm they've caused to start dismantling their own white supremacy so that these are two precursors to the third point, which is then they can actually choose gender solidarity over racial solidarity and then we overthrow the patriarchy they don't recognize that by or they do but they're benefiting so much from from white male white men that they're benefiting from the privilege if white women stopped pandering to white men and joined black indigenous and brown women if they joined us it would be over for the white men but what but why why would they want to do that because they they're benefiting well, why do these women show up to dinner? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> that's what I can't figure that's out. That's a great question. Well, because 
we've we've learned a couple of things. One of them is they do want to spout their civil rights resume. They want to say, oh, I volunteer here, and I do this, and I do that. They want to do that. But what we do <laughs> at, at- That's why they a lot of them initially sign up. And, and it's a real issue because we don't let them talk that much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they're used to centering everything on themselves. Right. So we purposely don't let them have control of the conversation because that's what it becomes. A lot of them will say, well, I just want to learn and- you know what? I one of my sheroes is a lady named uh, Jane Elliott. White lady. White lady named Jane Elliott. Have you ever heard of the brown eyes, blue eyes experiment? Yes. Well, she created that experiment. Right oh, I 60s. know who you're talking about. Yes. yes. Okay. She's yes. She's in her eighties. Yes. And Jane Elliott poses a question to a huge white audience, and she'll say, "Okay." How many of you white people would trade places with a black person in our community? Yes, this is a famous YouTube video yep, now. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, so you know, and they, by and large, nobody wants to change. And she said, that tells me you know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So we say, stop denying that you don't know. Acknowledge it and let's move forward from there. So, of the, so of the group of women that show up, some of them want to prove their wokeness mm -hmm. right and who are the others that show up the so there are, are so it's you know the it's the woke you know the back padding olympics i'm gonna like tick off my resume um then there are and and i would say that's the majority then there is a minority and those white women are going to be the potential agents for for dramatic change in this country mm -hmm. the ones who actually are ready and willing and able to open up their souls, look deep within, and start taking the message elsewhere. So it's a, I mean, it can get intense. I mean, for the most part, the dinners go um, in 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 sort of the in the same way. There's one or two that gets upset. Someone might cry. They have to leave if they cry. Um, usually, more often than not, someone gets really angry and bitchy and passive aggressive, which we shut down, uh, which makes them even angrier and more bitchy and more passive aggressive. Um, there are a couple people, usually one or two at the table, who sincerely like can recognize the behavior that's happening and they'll try to shut down and like explain how what their fellow white woman has done is problematic. Um, but for the most part, I think people come uh, to make themselves feel better and check off a box and be able to tell their friends that they've done it with the exceptions. And then the exceptions are sort of amazing and miracles because they stick with it. So they will actually continue the work. They'll continue the reading. What we always say, Regina and I say is, this is the beginning. This is not the end. So the civil rights resume readers think that this is like a you know, I, I went to a um, I went to a fish concert this weekend or, you know, whatever, like checking fish the, concert. Uh, yeah. It's like a very Colorado yeah. thing to say. But, but that's it. Checking the box. Right. The ones who are in it are in it and, and they're down a path and they are. And, and what we tell them is if you want to keep doing the work, we're we're just we're here to kick it off. You guys Have need to, to, to continue to meet and continue to dismantle and continue to talk some of them do it for the most part they i mean they can't they won't they 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 can't and they won't because in their minds their lives don't depend on it and what we're trying to get across is i Ours know do. i yeah. also know even like aside from it being the right thing to dismantle and acknowledge my own institutional anti-blackness i know in my heart of hearts that my liberation is tied to regina's liberation 
It is. So we are in this together. Our liberation is tied. Our, what we're trying to get white women to see is that their liberation is tied to ours. And they have point blank, the last one we had, point bl- or the penultimate one we had, point blank said to us, we don't see that yet. We do not see how our liberation is tied to, to yours. And we've even had them say, and these are like, you know, upper middle class white women living in Stapleton who are doctors and lawyers. It gets so raw and so honest that we had them, one of them say, I don't see your humanity. I don't yeah. see the two of you as, the as the same as me. I don't see your children and your grandchildren. Thank you for being honest. That's a great place to start. That's yeah. a great place to start. What I always like to tell these white women is this work. If you're really doing this work, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. You're not gaining anything. If you're doing anything, you're losing. You're using, we had one woman say to our, at one of our dinners that she was afraid of what her father would think. You know, you're going to lose family members. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose long-term relationships because you are trying to help people understand how their white supremacy and privilege and racism is hurting other people. What? Who are the outliers? How many do you think there have been that have been like, okay, I think I get wise, it. Would you say what, five? Yeah. Five percent? How many of these have you done? About 12, 15. 12 to 15. Yeah, five percent. How do you do that? I mean, so here's the thing that, that I always come back to is as as somebody who is mixed and is who my race is black, but I am not black presenting. Right. And because of that, because of the color of my skin, I am very aware of how I'm perceived by the world. And it makes me sort of, you know, safe for people to spout their racism, mm-hmm. even when they don't know that it's racism. Exactly. And it becomes very exhausting to have to be the person that's like, You're, oh, everybody stop. I need to talk to you about what you just said, because it wasn't cool. And here's all the reasons why it's not yeah. okay for you to say those things. Yeah. And I'm offended by it. And here's why. And here's the impact that it had on me. And, and like, do the whole thing. Yeah. Right. And there are some days where I honestly am like, I just want to like, go to the grocery store and get the damn tea that I came from and, like, yes. <laughs> and go home <laughs> and not have to deal with this. And so it's a I don't know that I would sign up to do this because for me, again, (laughs) my expectations are like zero. Mm -hmm. And that's how you really get through life is when you lower your expectations of other people. My expectations are on me. And if I see shit, I'm calling it shit. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. If I see something, I'm calling it. I don't care who it is. And I'm cool with that. And other people need to learn to be cool. This is who I am and I'm not going to change. And I, you know, did you read about my incident at King Supers? No, I didn't. Okay. Please well, let let's that. let's go there. Wow. A few weeks ago I was in King Supers and I was in the customer service line, not checking out, but the customer service line where you buy bus tickets and that. And there was um a white woman, she was the first, she was already being helped. So she was at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a very little tiny Latina woman who came up like to my shoulder. Now I'm five one, mm-hmm. So you know how small right. she must have been. <laughs> well, she was trying to get her cart past this white woman and she couldn't. Nobody said anything. There's three white people, myself, this little. So I say to the white woman, if you would move your cart back a little, she could get past. 
And she says to me, and who's going to make me, you? <laughs> and I said, you can take your fucking white privileged ass and go straight to hell. What happened? Well, well. I'm going to tell you. So, Because um, there was either tears or cursing or the cops were called. Well, well she got out of line. <laughs> she finished and she called security. And I'm in line and I'm going, call security, call him, get him. <laughs> so I go out of line and I go over to where she's talking to the security guard. And I said, ma'am, is it so hard to be a decent human being? And she says to him, see, and she pushed her card into me. Yeah. And he goes, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And then I looked at her and I say, you're a fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked out of the store and he walked with me. He said, you know, if you were to call the police, she could have been charged with assault. I said, I know that, but, but I'm a decent yeah. human being. And also it endangers you. Yeah, yeah I said I mean, I'm a decent and human and being. Calling a black person calling the police does not. You doesn't know, usually it, help. Yeah, it's not going to help necessarily. Well, I have an ace in my pocket that I don't like to bring. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just, I, God, I don't know. I mean, I, I say I'd like to be a fly on the wall in a room where that's happening just to witness how that whole thing goes down. Yeah. But to do it willingly over and over and over again. Well, and look, I have a different perspective than Regina because just like she said you know we've we're, we come from different times in different places mm -hmm. and so I intimately know white people and have known white people my whole life they used to be my very best friends like family to me and um I have been since coming out as a racialized person in some ways it's like it's someone a black woman recently described it as like coming out of the closet and you lose a whole lot of people when you do that and I've lost, I would say, 95% of the people from my former life. Mm -hmm. And um, they didn't. They don't like it. They don't like the way I speak. They, they think I'm a re reverse racist. I'm angry. I'm this. I'm that and the other. They don't want to hear it. I've been tone policed. You know, if you just said things differently, um, you know, you've now crossed a line. What are you doing? And this is all from a place of scarcity. And this, a lot of us don't speak up because of scarcity. What happens if we lose all of our friends? Guess what? I have awesome friends. Regina, I trust Regina with my life. You know, you make new friends who actually see your whole self mm -hmm. and see your humanity. Um, what happens professionally? I mean, white people weaponize economics against us all mm -hmm. the time. And it has happened. Yeah. I have lost this, that and the other. But again, this is back to if you can truly stand and, and I'm coming from a place of privilege, being able to do this. I recognize that. But if you can stand in the notion that I'm giving the finger to false notions of scarcity, other things open up. Mm -hmm. Race to dinner has really taken off. I'm starting a nonprofit that I'm actually having a pretty easy time funding right now because people want to invest in me. Not the, not the people from before, but all new, new people. people. Mm -hmm. yeah. And guess what? There are white women that I have met in the past three years who have become very close friends because they've met me in my post-racialized <laughs> self. They see me as a brown woman because I see myself as a brown woman. And so... I but I, all that being said, I have a much harder time because uh, the these women I know them I know exactly um, what they're thinking, what they're doing. I know how they spend their money. I know how they talk about us. I know how they talk about each other. Mm -hmm. And we say this to them every time. The only people they hate more than us or me they like they think Re Regina's fine. They hate me. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> um, is each other. And mm. not a single one, except for that one woman at the last mm -hmm. one, has denied that. And I said, I know exactly how you all talk about each other. 
the minute one of you leaves leaves the room or the minute the party is over, I, I, you know, kiss, kiss. Oh, my God, it's great to see you. It's great to see you. We totally need to get together. We totally need to get together. Let's get drinks. Let's get drinks. That bitch is so fat. She's gained five pounds. Like, you know, she's such an asshole. She's stupid. That's how they talk. And so there's not a sisterhood. So there's a difference. There's not a sisterhood among white women. There's racial solidarity. Very different. They don't they wouldn't go to bat for each other in terms of heart to heart, you know. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to being against us, they are in line. They all get right in line. Major racial solidarity. Do you think that there that that awareness exists no. for most white women? No. They don't have any, but they but they know they know they haven't given it much thought because they haven't they had don't have to. to. They don't have to, yeah. Right. And that's the stuff we talk about. Mm -hmm. We talk about that. We say, you know, you have the privilege of not worrying about thirty three million Americans being removed from the voter rolls right. since two thousand thirteen. You don't have to worry about that. When are you going to start caring about something besides yourself? Well, but you know what? They don't even care if their kids are getting yeah. shot up. You know, so so if you don't even care about your own kids, how are we going to make you care about something else? Your own kids and the earth, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. capitalism and white supremacy, which are each other's best friends, uh, have burned the earth. And guess what? The earth is going to be fine. The earth is kicking us out. The earth is kicking out the poison. Right. So they don't even they don't care about their kids. They don't care about their spouses. They don't care about themselves. They care about they don't care about the the longevity of, of human beings, right? Yeah. So trying to get them to actually care about us, I mean, I'll be honest with you, it's a long shot. I ask myself all the time, why am I doing this? Yeah. You know, I could just go softly into the night, but but if not us, then mm -hmm. who? And I've got two kids, Regina's got grandkids. Like, if not us, then who? Then who? I it Really, like... Sure, but... Just to play devil's advocate a little bit, like there's a lot of ways to advocate or be an activist. There's a there's but really, campaigning. There's right. like there's so many other things that but you can what, do. What we're doing when you're when you're out there, like with Black Lives Matter or mm -hmm. whatever, I think you're talking to the choir personally. You know, your audience is other black people, maybe other black people, uh, you know, or other people of color this way. We're talking to the actual protagonists. You know, we're talking to the people who are causing the harm. And to me, I had lunch yesterday uh, with a white friend, and we were, you know, talking about all this stuff. And she tried to tell me, well, you know, people don't really know. And I repeated the Jane Elliott story. I said, so don't tell me you don't know. Mm -hmm. I said, because yeah. you know. And look, there's a bunch of, like, this is a big problem. White supremacy is a big problem. So there's not our way is right and that way is wrong. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that that's a, that comes from a scarcity model. Mm -hmm. Like, there's other ways to be an activist. Everyone should be an activist. I mean, you don't need, there's no diploma for activism. If you are right. willing to speak up, you're an activist. Exactly. So pick whatever you're... Well, pick. sometimes it's just existing in a place. Yeah, like be, just, yes, Denver. <laughs> just being... Just living in Denver <laughs> is activism. Um, living in Seattle as a person of color is activism. Uh, look, I, I get it. I Obviously, I understand political activism. I ran for Congress last year. Um, but I have come to a place where I no longer belong, believe. And by the way, it takes all kinds. So I have tremendous respect for people who run for office, who get into office, who run for re-election. I have tremendous respect for the local officials. I have tremendous respect for the squad. It takes all kinds, mm -hmm. inside and outside. From my perspective, 
I believe that the whole system is is flawed. I mean, flawed is an understatement. We have a constitution that was created by colonizers. So mm-hmm. when people say, oh, is this constitutional? I don't really give a fuck if it's constitutional because who created the constitution? You know, like genocidal colonizers. So the the government has never worked for people like us ever by design. So when people say the system isn't working, the system is humming along beautifully. As it was designed totally. to, sure. Yeah. So I think for my, and my, we're all here for a very short time, whatever time I have left, I'm focusing on cultural, changing the cultural DNA to the extent that I, or helping to change and telling the truth. I mean, telling the truth, as it turns out, is an extremely radical act. Yes. And it's hard to do. Sure. Is there an end goal? I think it, for me, the end goal is to help people understand that it's work and keep them engaged in the work. Mm -hmm. Because as we know better, we do better. My end goal, I mean, and, and someone I actually was asked this not too long ago by a reporter and, and it was a white reporter and, and he was like, God, that's so such a low bar. And I was like, but think about the ramifications. My goal in life before I die is to have white people no longer get upset and fragile by the term white people. <laughs> Isn't that a well, low bar? It is a low bar. <laughs> but what does that say? What does right? it tell us? Because then white people suddenly recognize that they're not the default mm-hmm. and they just like you and you and me are racialized and once that happens everything and anything is possible that's that's why that's my goal mm-hmm. it's the beginning we're not even close to that though no. right what, have you seen any clear outcomes from some of the women that you've talked to i think we have um a couple of women that we've had dinners with ended up helping us in this work. Mm -hmm. You know, they've actually come and they are helping us in this work. And I think that's important. Um, You know, I think there are some people we uh, just started doing a Patreon on our website, Mm -hmm. racetodinnerwebsite.com. And people are signing up to read what we post, uh, you know, about... You know, all that stuff they don't want to talk about. We're writing about it and we're saying So on your Patreon, you're doing like the insiders notes from the dinners. Notes and just musings on, yeah, things that we see and things that like just kind of musings on white supremacy as it pertains specifically to white women. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say in terms of change, there's been a couple. and, And again, I want to come back to this. This is not for the faint of heart. Right. Oh, like, no, no. Our first dinner, we actually had one of our friends who's an, another Indian woman stood up and left. And she was like, fuck all this shit. Because someone said, <laughs> so one of the white women was like, well, what are we supposed to do? And she was like, well, you can st- start by stopping such a racist bitch. Got up and left. And she was like, are you both out of your minds? So it's definitely not. So we know that like. Yeah. The formula, it's 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 certain. It's not just not for everyone. It's for like I don't. And 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 quite frankly, it's unclear to me how long I can even do this. Mm-hmm. You know, the amount of things that I have to like, you know, rock myself back and forth ten times, light a candle here, and you know, <laughs> sage, like, yeah, sage, all of meditate, yeah, totally. Pray. See, I don't have to do all of that because about <laughs> really, yes, I she really has don't. no expectations. Yeah, and and about six years ago, I don't know if I would call this a spiritual experience or I don't know. I don't know what I would call it. But I had an awareness that everything will be okay. 
So I don't worry about anything. It's pretty amazing. I would need an exorcism, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's... Or I might be arrested yeah. because... Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing that's... it's The same things happen, right? Like the... That not me, your friends must have been specifically awful white women. You know, you're so angry. All of this stuff. And you would think at some point um, I would get used to it. I just continue to hold out hope. I have to, otherwise I wouldn't do. And, and as soon as I stop, you know, as soon as I stop thinking it's possible for white women to Something change, um, it, then I'll stop doing it because then there's th- then it's just straight up, you know, being a masochistic person, right? Right. Um, or sadism, whichever one that is. Um, but masochistic. there, th- masochistic. <laughs> there are there are enough white women and I'll tell you like even the first the first dinner that was hosted was by a white woman friend I made when I moved to Denver and she's a lawyer she's a very successful lawyer and she and I have had like you know there have been nights of us going out and crying and and guess what she does she stands back up the next day she dusts herself off and she gets back on the horse yeah Mm -hmm. so it's like it's because of that and that's happened it's happening more it's happening more, mm-hmm. which is really interesting and exciting because I do think that on some level, if you keep stick to the message and say it enough times, mm-hmm. you know, this other reporter in Denver was like, I think the reason people are fascinated by what you're doing, and what you're saying is you haven't you haven't strayed from what you're saying. From like you message. keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. And it's like marketing. You need to hear it seven different times from seven different mm-hmm. people in seven different ways before it even lands, you know, on your brain. And that's it's just saying the same thing over and over. I don't think that's why, though. Well, you know, one of the things that I know is because people will say to me, you know, when they when they really hear how bad it is, I go, God, how do you black women just go on? And I'm like, is there an option? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, you could lay down and die or you can live your life. You pick yourself up and you go on and you I do affirmations myself. And after the. Uh. After the King Supers, I added two. One was, I am not putting up with any white people nonsense, period. I don't care who it is. And the other is... I love that's what your affirmation is. <laughs> that's a good one. I will, I will come to the defense of oppressed people. Yeah. So great. That's, that's just me. The two go hand in hand. So you said you don't think that's what it is. So what is it? I think what it is is that people in general but particularly white women are afraid to talk about race oh my god yeah, oh, see, and so yeah. and All so here's two women of color that are like i'll talk to you about race mm-hmm. no expectations like you don't have yeah. to pay me you no, don't have to pay no, oh they do they pay, pay you yes. okay yes. good i was gonna ask you about yeah, that yeah we wouldn't do this <laughs> okay no, we're not so that you don't have to like go through anything specific like you don't it's it's you're creating a safe environment right like yes. this is a, a private conversation yes. And I think that's why. I th- because where else are they going to do it? You're Maybe. right. You're right. Where else? You're right. They can't talk about it with each other. No. We've had a couple of women. Say, you know, that's a good point. Um, we've had a couple of women say to us, um, it's been a relief. Mm. Like, um, it feels like we have been carrying around. It is. It, racism is the elephant in the room. You can talk about you can talk about classism. Mm-hmm. You can talk about ableism. Mm-hmm. You can talk about sexism. sexism. You cannot talk it all about links racism. Back. Yeah. And so there is, for some, a tremendous um, sense of relief. Uh, 
but I don't know that that's the, that hasn't come across as the driving force for most of the people there. But there's certainly some who um, have walked away saying that they feel that they they feel like they're able to actually start doing the work because it feels like finally the elephant has left the room. We've actually had quite a few white women who are either raising biracial children or they have adopted black children. Mm-hmm. So how do they confront their racism? Well, some of them. <laughs> how do they handle I that? Mean, there was one woman, and yeah. it, it was very sad to us because, um, and I have to tell you, Syra, I love that Syra. So the woman says uh, she doesn't really say anything to friends and family when they say racist things around her child. And Syra said, "Okay, that's like saying someone could rape your child." And you're not going to say anything. Mm-hmm. She said it's the same thing. It is. Yeah. And she said it's different because white women are the first to, rightly so, ra- like wave the flag around rape culture and misogyny. But they're unable and unwilling to see that being on the receiving end of racism is just as violent. Mm-hmm. And what they also don't see, I can't tell you how many white women have talked to us like we're not women. Like we don't understand misogyny like we don't have we deal with misogyny in our own cultures right um and then we also deal with misogyny from white men and we deal with racism from white like the layers and layers and layers but and and so for them to actually start having a a, an inkling that um that racism is just as violent and and frankly women of color are uh, victims of sexual assault at a far greater rate mm-hmm. than white women. Mm-hmm. And so th- in this specific instance that Regina was talking about, she got really upset. That woman, she was like, that's not true. That's not it. Blah, blah, blah. And um, Regina said, you know, OK, so you're so I think it was a boy. Right. Mm-hmm. Her, she said, fine. Your your son is what, nine years old. He's still cute. Right. He's a cute little boy. In a couple of years, he's suddenly going to become a scary black man. Mm-hmm. And these relatives of yours who are saying racist things, it could escalate. And, and she was like, well, I choose. She goes, I choose um, to let my family con- like like shower him with love rather than worry about yeah. like this like little stuff kind of thing. And we were like, they're showering him with racism. It's the opposite of love. Exactly. So, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But see, that's that's a woman who does not want to acknowledge that this cute little black boy is going to turn into, to, to the white people, a very frightening young black man. Mm-hmm. And we know what happens to when that when white people get scared of black men. Well, um, how how long do you think you're going to keep doing this? I'm game. I don't... <laughs> as long as, for me, it's as long as I maintain the faith mm-hmm. that there are possibilities that, that a white woman here or there can, can turn. Because the power of a white woman is enormous, right? So mm-hmm. one of them turns and slowly starts turning her husband... And starts parenting differently and starts teaching her kids to be not 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 racist, to be actively anti-racist, mm-hmm. teaches her kids to see themselves as racialized people, teaches her kids to talk about themselves as white boys and white girls. Um, it changes. It, it, it could potentially change things. Right. Um, let's see if it I mean, again, we haven't been doing this long enough to to have any sense of 
uh, how it's going to work long term. I mean, seriously, in earnest, what, like eight months we've been doing it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and took long breaks over the summer. I mean, if we actually we have a lot of interest, if we actually could and we want to take a little holiday break, you know, Um, in fact, we have what's, what's exciting is there is sort of a lot of press kind of around it. Now we have a woman photographer, a really amazing photographer out of New York City coming next month to do. Um, to photograph a dinner, and then it's going to be in an exhibit at a huge um, New York City photography exhibit next year. Mm -hmm. Largest one in the country. Largest one in the country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, once we, we're going to, we're going to ride it out for a little while. It's too early to, to call it a day. Uh, But I will say, if there was a thesis that, that we had that white women are as racist as white men and white women are the most privileged group in this country, I would say even from the dozen or so, um, we're talking anecdotally at this point, that thesis has been proven in spades. Mm. Yep. What about anti-blackness in communities of color? That's a huge... So that's the other thing we were talking about, Julie. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it is a big issue in the black community. One of the things that I always predict, and I don't think I'm wrong on this, but we'll see. I'll probably be gone and buried. But I think at some point in this country that everybody's going to be basic beige and you won't be able to tell who's what. I really believe Maybe. that. I mean, because that's where we're headed. Mm-hmm. You know, I really believe that. We'll just keep changing what the, what, what, like what white, the standard is. Right. Yeah. I mean, you just change what white is and then whiteness um prevails uh wait but what was the question i just it was about uh colorism oh colorism okay so yeah uh i have actually tried so i spoke at a panel not too long ago and it was three black women and me and um it was really interesting most of the crowd was black women you were there yeah yeah, yeah, oh at the riveter that's where we met yeah so at the end yeah yeah i remember that so throughout (laughs) i was talking about um anti-blackness in non-black communities of color and a lot of women were making eye contact with me in the room Mm -hmm. asian women latinx women okay and at the end i asked the question to the you know non-black women of color in this room raise your hand if you can acknowledge your institutional anti-blackness almost nobody yeah i don't think anybody raised their hand me and then aparna who was an indian woman who was one of the um organizers right So what does that tell you? I mean, it's fragility, just like white fragility, just like white people saying they're they're not racist. And I've and I've received since then three um, messages over LinkedIn from um, one Asian woman and two Latinx women saying they've been thinking about this a lot. And um, can I talk? This was what, three weeks ago? Mm -hmm. I gave them my number immediately. I said, call me anytime. I haven't heard heard from any of them. So it's it's a big problem. One of the things I can tell you for sure is black people know. We know. That's yeah. what I tell. We know that you all think you're better than us. We yeah. know that. It's no surprise. We know it. Um, I think this whole colorism thing in the black community has lo- has caused a lot of internalized oppression. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you see people lightening their skin, and I mean, I think in some of the African African countries, they have a- actually outlawed skin lighteners. Oh, really? Oh, that's awesome. Yes, that's good. Yes, because it was becoming such a, a problem, you know, with people, and I think we, you know, we are in internally oppressed with the hair issue you know there's just lots of issues um that people internalize that have nothing to do with you it's about white supremacy Mm -hmm. so it's dismantling your own internalized 
oppression. oppression. So I was in India last Christmas with my family, and one of my um, cousins lives in a town called Coimbatore. It's not a big it's not a big town, so it's not like Bombay or Delhi where you'll actually see the errant white person walking around. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is all brown people and dark, dark brown people. This is South India. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you you get there and you cruise around and you see the billboards. And the billboards are of Indian families who they, I, I was like, this is so weird. I mean, like, none of these people look Indian. And so my husband was like, oh, my God, they're um, they're overexposing mm-hmm. the film mm-hmm. to make everyone white. So I'm just, you know, cruising around, getting more and more upset because this is not the United States. This is India. This is India, India. But the British, you know, brought mm-hmm. us genocide and all the amazing accoutrements to that self-loathing. You know, when they left, they left a tremendous amount of self-loathing. So I went to the mall. And there was a big kid's toy store. And I was like, took a deep breath. I was like, I'm going to go in. And, (laughs) you know, I'm going to see, surely there's got to be some Indian dolls. Not one. They're all white dolls? The entire wall. There there are more brown and black dolls in this country. (laughs) Wow. You know, a, a whole... And and I said this to my cousin. He goes, God, I've never even thought about that. It's because it is so internalized, it's so yeah. ingrained. And so Indians are taught from the the minute they're born that white people rule. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's where the colorism comes from. And again, it's back to the white adjacent as the lighter you are, mm-hmm. the more close you are to whiteness. And whiteness is the sun. Right. It's the sun. It's the moon. It's the ocean. It's everything. You know, one of the things that I've noticed here lately, now, I don't watch a lot of network TV because I don't want to see you-know-who, but uh, (laughs) I will watch Netflix and Prime and everything, and what I have started to notice is how many black people are now in every series that's produced and everything. I mean, you still don't see a lot of Asian people, Mm -hmm. but I'll tell you, there's black people in everything now. Mm -hmm. I think it's getting better. I mean, as a as a mixed child, I was I always watched black TV because it was the only time I was ever going to see anybody that it was even remotely like me. And then now there's like mixed dish, which is a mixed family. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. You, you, you see more and more of it. I have noticed that network television generally is still far behind mm-hmm. like Netflix or um, these other shows, yes. these uh, streaming like mm-hmm. Hulu. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why Why is it so hard for you? <laughs> well, because white men are still making those yeah. decisions. Sure, yeah. sure. Money, money. Yeah. Um, how can somebody learn more about Race to Dinner and what you guys are doing? Go to www.race2dinner.com. And there's a lot of information. And, uh, yeah, I mean, our contact information is there. There's a, pl- a way to contact us there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Twitter, at my name, at Syra, S-A-I-R-A-S-A-M-E-E-R-A-R-A-O. And Regina has hers. <laughs> yeah, and we also have a Race to Dinner Twitter account. Twitter account. Yeah, and Race Insta- to Dinner yeah, and yeah. Instagram. Yeah. And, um, you know, people can host dinners. They can attend a dinner they can join our patreon they can join our patreon so we did we've started which is kind of in some ways more interesting and less traumatizing Uh for me is we start consulting and so um sometimes white women will hire one of us to to talk to them for an hour and it's like it's kind of wild it's like an hour of 
racial therapy for them. And usually it just ends with them like telling us how guilty they felt their whole life, which is not useful. So mm-hmm. white guilt, I want to be clear, not white guilt without without action is actually white supremacy because all that's doing is recentering your feelings. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but being able to talk, you know, I had this one call with this white woman. It was an hour. She must have talked for 50 minutes. And like the two seconds I talked, she got really fragile. And then she and then she talked about how she got fragile. But it was this whole thing about um, how bad she's felt, how it's, it was horrible growing up in in a house where things were said that were awful and how she realized that she and she was like, I mean, at the end of the 50 minutes of her talking, I'm just sitting there listening like, wow. Uh, and she was like, you know. I think I'm actually racist. And I was like, <laughs> of course you are. You're a white person living in America. It's, you come by it honestly. Yeah. And it's the false binary of racism bad, non-racist good. Mm-hmm. That's what shuts down the conversation, right? Because then you can't even have the conversation because you're coming out of the gate saying somebody is bad or good. Mm-hmm. And that's all by design. Fascinating. Um, we're at about time, but I thank you guys, both of you, so thank much you. for, for coming fun. on the show and talking about this. Right. I mean, this is a show that really centers women of color, the voices of women of color. Yes, we love it. And I am very explicit in that when I'm producing the show and in never ceases to amaze me the sheer number of pitches I get from white women who completely ignore the fact that it's not for them, (laughs) that it's not really for them. Like I have, I have had white women on the show, um, but I curate very carefully who gets onto this platform because I'm very conscious of who is the audience that I'm serving. And it amazes me. And then when I've had women push back on me, like, why can't you be, why can't I be on the show? Or their publicists, sometimes mm-hmm. it's their publicists or, you know, whatever their PR company Reverse is. Racism. And they're like, well, she's great. And she wrote this book and she got these awards and we don't understand. And I'm like, this is a show that centers <laughs> women of color. That's what it is. I have a 90-10 rule. So for anybody listening, you want to be on the show, I have a 90-10 rule. If I have 10 women in a season, only one of them is going to be white. If I find... Uh, somebody that's appropriate for the theme right. or the topics that we're like Jane that's El- it. Jane Elliott. That's it. And so I've been like, why is this? Why is this so hard for you to understand? Because they're used to centering themselves. Can't, can't deal. Cannot can't deal. deal. Can't deal. Can't deal. So I appreciate that somebody's out there willing to do the work. I tell you, I am not willing to do that. <laughs> well, you have to take, we all have to take care of ourselves. Yeah. That's sure. number one. And yes. you're doing this. You yes. know, I'm doing this. it takes all kinds. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't take care of yourself, then you have nothing to give anybody mm-hmm. else. So I tell women of color, especially, you are number one. Take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Number one. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate you both so much, and um, I hope there is a book in the works or something. There's there's actually a lot of stuff in the works. Good. Um, I will support that in any way I can, so um, you can consider this show a friend of Race to Dinner and the work that you're doing. Awesome. Thank you. Um, But thank you guys so much um, for our listeners. We're going to cut it here, but I'm going to encourage you to get in touch with Race to Dinner with Syrah and uh, Miss Regina Jackson. However you need to do that, you know somebody that is willing to have this conversation, have the conversation. If you want to be involved, get involved. The easiest thing you can do is support via the Patreon mm-hmm. um, for Race to Dinner. And even easier than that, share this episode. 
get it into other eardrums and let people know that this work is happening. It's a simple share on social media. Talk to your friends and family. Let them know what you're listening to. Let them know why they need to hear this show and this episode in particular. Um, Just go do it. (laughs) Just go do it. (laughs) Until next time, we are out.